Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast, where we use calisthenics to gain body weight strength, build muscle to look like a bodybuilder, and unlock the mobility to move freely. What's going on, everyone? Daniel Vadnell, Australian physiotherapist here for Fitness FAQs. And I'm very excited to have a chat today with Adam Siniki, aka The Bioneer. And the reason why I'm keen to have a chat with him is because over the past 10 plus years, he's been doing full-time health and fitness content creation. He's a personal trainer. He's an app developer. And of course, he's an aspiring entrepreneur as well. So he's definitely got a unique perspective to provide us. He's studied uh, psychology as well at university, I believe, Surrey University, was it Adam? Yeah, 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 that's right. So we've got some we've got some credentials to back up the the information that's being presented. Why we should listen to Adam is I believe that his content will resonate with everyone that is listening because he's very articulate at presenting advanced concepts in a really digestible and easy to understand way. So there's going to be plenty of takeaways from today's podcast, and he's someone that you should definitely listen to. There's your introduction, Adam. What's up, man? How you doing? Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing good. Thank you. Excited to, to get started and yeah, appreciate the props. No, no worries, man. So with today's podcast, I want to essentially divide it into a few uh, broad topics that you've got a lot of experience with. So we're going to talk training. We're going to talk psychology. We're going to talk productivity and technology and just a few health, lifestyle and general questions as well. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds sounds awesome. What are you most passionate about in the fitness realm today? Well, I think if I was to like sum up my sort of philosophy on fitness um, and what I've been, yeah, definitely moving towards, it's it's actually not any one thing, but like the, the combination of things. I think to me, like you know, fitness should mean not just being really good at one particular skill or you know trait, but rather having a broad range of skills and traits. Which is not to say I have an issue with anyone who like chooses to focus or go down one path because that's like super admirable and it's great if that's your career and things but um i just think there's a huge benefit to like you know having a good having good cardio being strong being mobile you know training your brain as well because you know as you said that's an area of interest and that's something that can be trained and to me i think that's fitness that makes you more adaptable to your environment and what you find is there's quite a lot of resistance to that kind of thinking because a lot of people they invest so much time into powerlifting or into their particular martial art and then they don't want to admit that maybe there's some slight gaps that they could fill if they brought in something from somewhere else. And that's like, to me, an awful shame. And for a newcomer, I think a lot of them, you go to a gym, and you're like, I, I need to get into shape. I don't have any background or knowledge. Like, what should I do? And they either put you on a treadmill and start you doing cardio to lose weight, or they'll get you lifting weights like a bodybuilder or like a powerlifter, which is particularly popular at the moment. But there's, and then you just do that and you become that thing and you sort of identify with that. I mean, I, started with bodybuilding like you say largely just because I didn't know those other options you know like calisthenics or like I mean so many people like might sound odd to your like audience but don't haven't heard of planche don't know what straight arm strength is and like this shouldn't in my opinion just be this niche thing I think there's value in that for everyone like particularly just the the general concept of straight arm strength it's like this whole aspect of your strength that you haven't like looked at and then you've got things like rotational strength for more athletic style training and and it's, it's just really fun and interesting to like look at all these things and learn about like all the different ways to train different parts of your body and to, yeah, and to that way, come up with a program that's unique to you, that covers kind of everything. And then that gives you a more well-rounded fitness that, 
you know, you can actually feel better in your everyday life and be more adaptable. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the uh, the angle I've been going down. It's like, I think I was always a bit of a jack of all trades and I always saw that as a limitation, you know, because I was never like the best I could be at one thing. But now I've actually realized that I quite like that, you know, and I think there's merit in it. And that's kind of what I've been preaching on my channel for the last few years. Where do you think that dogmatic approach to fitness comes from, Adam, in terms of people seeing things as good, bad, I do one thing and I don't do the other? Is Does that come from just the, the industries themselves in terms of people specializing and they promote their their way as, as the ultimate, the be all, end all? Do you think that an element of that comes with just marketing and just selling your product or service? Yeah, I think, yeah, obviously marketing is a big part of it. And like, if you, if you're trying to sell a program, you want to make it sound the best. So you kind of say it's the best and especially like online at the moment, the, like when you're marketing, one of the best things to do is to like create a, a tribe, you know, like a, a legion of loyal followers, um, which is something that I've like always been like aware of, don't want to do. Like when people say, oh, these are my fans. I'm like, they're not necessarily your fans, man. They watch your channel because they want your information. You're not like Brad Pitt. <laughs> um, but so like they become so sort of, and people like communities. I think it's human nature as well, you know, like, and once they want to talk to other people who are like-minded and then they might, they might see something from that they don't fully understand from a different modality and say like, oh man, what the hell are they doing? Like, that's not going to build any strength, but maybe they're not trying to build strength. Maybe they're trying to build endurance at the moment, or they're just having fun and experimenting, but from an outsider perspective, when you've only been trained in one thing, and I think the deeper you get into it, the harder it is to then say, because then it feels like, I think in martial arts, you see this an awful lot where there's one style and someone will have done like Aikido for, for 15 years um, and then maybe they realize that there are some holes and it wouldn't necessarily hold up in MMA, but, and then they say, you know, I, I, but they refuse to admit that because they've committed 15 years of their life and all their friends do it. But, you know, then at the same time, you don't want to be the opposite and be like, Aikido is stupid. It doesn't even hold up in MMA. Like that's not a, the only yardstick either. You know, it's all got merit, but you don't have to do just one thing, but it's very um, natural to find a kind of group and stick with it. I think. Of course. And I, I think the average person could probably relate to what you're, you're talking about, Adam. It's, I mean, we all want to improve and progress, but you'd be hard pressed if, if most people you spoke to said that they want to be the best at one thing. I think most people want to just derive uh, pleasure from the process. And like you said, adopting a more of a general approach, you can, you can make some really solid progress by, I guess, juggling a few modalities at once. And there's a lot of sustainability associated with that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it can prevent injury because you become slightly better balanced, and at the same time, you stay in a more like um, something like Edo Portal talks a lot about is you're staying in that kind of learner phase where you're picking up new things. And I think that's also part of the issue is that when you've become fantastic at the bench press, and you're so used to now being a you know top dog, it's really humbling to then go back to do something that you you know is, is very different that you can't do it's very natural to want to focus on your strengths, which is obviously a thing you've been doing rather than start again from the beginning and, yeah. uh, you know, and potentially even see your bench press like lower slightly because you're focusing on something else, but you have to decide whether, you know, you really need an extra two kilograms on your bench press or whether you could actually benefit from like adding to your arsenal. For sure. And I definitely believe that there's more of an interest these days in combining a few approaches. That's why, your your content with Bioneer is resonating so well with people. So there's there's definitely an interest for that. I want to I want to ask you, Adam, what are your thoughts on 
training with resistance bands because I guess this comes into the philosophy of your your general approach. Do you feel that um, resistance bands tick that box, so to speak, of good application for the generalist? Yeah, I think resistance bands are, are fantastic tools. Like first and foremost, just because you know the obvious practical benefits of them being extremely portable. Um, lately, I've often had a, a resistance band in my pocket that I can just pull out and start doing stuff wherever. But um, but also because you can train like every most training is so gravity dependent so that means that every, the force is always coming downwards and like you can manipulate that by changing your body position like in calisthenics there are horizontal pushes same with weightlifting, but it's still not the same as standing up and pushing where you've got to dig yourself into the ground and talk from the waist etc um you know which is what you do if you're swinging a bat or if you're throwing a punch or something so ultimately it's like you're kind of particularly in weightlifting only ever practicing picking stuff up but that's only one expression of strength whereas a band you can put behind you you can put to one side you can pull down and uh, that way you can more closely mimic movements like you know swinging a bat or whatever um, I mean you can take like a Indian club and swing that which is a big heavy club with a with the weight distributed more towards the end really great tool and you can use that to kind of practice a, a swing but there the weight is again the angle of resistance is straight down so it's not the same you're not pushing through the route that you would be taking if you're swinging a bat and whilst you know you can get into a big argument as to whether swinging a cable cables obviously being very similar to resistance bands but with a more linear um resistance obviously resistance bands get harder the further they go on which uh which uh creates it challenges and has its advantages but yeah you could argue that something like that is very different from swinging a bat in real life because it's not explosive in the same way um but if squatting improves your vertical jump which it's pretty established that it does then swinging something against resistance should in theory also provide some benefit to uh, swinging a bat or something how would you find the transferability of bands used in that way would it be more for expression of of different movement patterns as opposed to like i think the the majority of people listening to this would be probably following more of a conventional approach which is why i wanted to have you on today adam so how would how would bands be used um, and the application of them and how does the transfer to say your more your general movements? Yeah, well, so like one of the most basic um, sort of things to do is to move in the transverse plane. Like you know, there's sagittal, frontal, and transverse, but a lot of exercises are only in the sagittal plane. You know, which is up and down, forwards and backwards. Um, whereas in real life, everything we do almost involves some element of rotation, even running and walking. You uh, rotate, you move your right shoulder at the same time as your left hip, and at the same time pulling a door open or which is a I always use that example on my channel and people are like how heavy are your doors man yeah wrestling you know throwing a punch like I say all these things involve twisting so bands are a great way to supplement if you already got a training program that's mainly weights or that's mainly calisthenics and you don't have that much twisting against rotation uh, against resistance sorry then using bands or cables is a great way to just incorporate that quickly and that that's where kind of like again my philosophy is different because a lot some people might say well why do you ever need to be strong rotating if you're not how often do you how often do you push furniture etc but that's where injuries happen isn't it because you adapt to your environment and then the one day you have to pull that furniture out and you twist funny I mean I literally have tweaked my back doing that so that's where you, you want to build yourself up the whole point of the training is to kind of like plug the gaps of the things you're not already doing um, to fortify yourself so that when you do have to do them you're strong I mean that's the point of training in terms of just to kind of like a healthy and uh, injury prevention but I'm also just interested in 
being able to throw a punch, even though I'm not aggressive and don't intend on fighting and being able to throw a ball a long way. I just think, you know, it's cool to be able to like, you know, use your body in all these different ways. So there's a few reasons to do it. You can, most calisthenics exercises are purely frontal and sagittal plane. Like we're, we're very rarely moving in that transverse plane. So band use could definitely fill the gap in that respect. And I can also um, agree with what you're saying in terms of people injuring themselves when moving, just those awkward yeah. postures that you don't usually load in everyday life. That was probably the most common thing that I saw when I was working in the clinic as a physio. Um, even yeah. really, really capable people like that, that lift have, uh, you know, physical jobs as well, but that moving with the stress, the awkward positions, probably a lack of sleep. It's yeah. You're tired. Yeah. Just that perfect. And, storm. and these are positions that you, that you, like some of them you're even told not to, uh, to perform in the gym, like the rounded back when you're picking things up, uh, obviously you don't want to do that in a deadlift really, but if you're going to be getting something in or out of a boot, then you, you kind of have to round your back. There's no other way of doing it. It, it does happen. And so it doesn't hurt to just add some things on that are going to, you know, in that case, maybe like Jefferson curls or something just to just to or picking up an Atlas stone, even where you're lapping it. And that, that protects your back when you're rounded because you're holding onto the onto the ball itself. But yeah, so it's all these different things that you might think are unnecessary, but they're no less, in my opinion, necessary than squatting or, you know, you could argue none of it's necessary if you work a sedentary job. <laughs> so. Yeah, because when you when you really think about it in today's modern society with with all the the technology we've got, it's made us very very sedentary. So if you looked at it quite critically, you don't really need to be that strong or um, even yeah. have much cardio respiratory fitness. But I mean, we we want to make ourselves robust against certain situations. And I think the problem with uh, fitness at large is we tend to use really extreme examples. So it's like you shouldn't load your back while you're bending over because it's dangerous because it's bad for your spine. But there's yeah. a difference between going for your max deadlift load with a flex spine yeah. and 100%. Using, using a very manageable load that you progress over time to actually make your body res- robust. So yeah, exactly. Just like the, the knees over toes guy who um, Ben Patrick always talking about you know, so many people for so long advised against moving your knees past your toes. Um, I think it's like enough people have heard now that there's that that's actually fine. And in fact, it's encouraged. But obviously, you're not going to go and do a sissy squat with like 100 kilograms across your that will hurt your knees. Like that's the difference. And it's it's moving. And that's where bands can be fantastic because they're so light. Um, you know, you can get a really light resistance band and there's no risk of dropping it on yourself, like to, to train all kinds of positions that would normally be be tricky to to perform. That's actually like I've got this like brand, which I was trying to trademark, but they rejected me so far. Um, super functional. And the idea beto- behind super functional training, because obviously functional training has got this, you know, bad rep as a, as a name um, because it's so broad. It doesn't really describe anything. So my, my argument is that you know, functional training, we are functional, like you say, because our lifestyle doesn't demand much from us. Like if you have a bit of kyphosis and tight hips, like you're perfectly formed to sit at a computer. So you're completely functional for what you need to do. Um, the problem is that we sometimes need to do something else. But so I say that you should train to be super functional. Like, you know, you should be more than functional um, so that A, you're resilient against those situations, but also just because it's cool and interesting. Like, you know, the, the stuff you never need to do a handstand push up, but it's awesome to me it's that that's super functional like it's a it's an additional skill that you don't necessarily need but 
all the stuff you gain from learning to do a handstand push-up is going to make you like more invincible in so many different positions you're going to learn so much about your body like it's cool in itself but it also has packs you know a ton of value um so, I yeah. think I think you're preaching to the choir, Adam. I don't think we need yeah, too much too much convincing with that. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've heard of it, but like handstands and stuff, really good, man. You they're they're try pretty it. fun. They they build strength. They build muscle. I, I think you should yeah. really just just start. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, on the on that line, um, you seem to be promoting a bit of this uh, functional training, functional aesthetics. How does one go about? I guess having somewhat the best of both worlds so being able to do cool stuff with their body but then also being able to have have some muscle mass in the process is there any way you like to go about that combination yeah well um i mean there's a few options first of all like the combining different modalities option does that because obviously you can you can do aspects of bodybuilding and aspects of calisthenics and aspects of throwing a, a med ball and you'll get you know some of everything and i actually bodybuilding gets a bad rap for being non-functional um among the crowd but i actually like bodybuilding a lot like i i learned a lot of really good stuff from there um like their highest rep ranges are really good for like building strength endurance and um you know isolating does have its place and it's not like they you know they, i think a lot of people just sort of have this issue with bodybuilding they're an easy target but it's i don't think it's particularly non-functional any more so than anything else um so you can do that but also a lot of the things that you would consider functional like we're talking about moving in the in the uh, transverse plane which would broadly fall under the category of functional training because it doesn't happen a lot in any given strength um sort of form of hobby um that actually builds up like these great obliques and like you get all this detail down the side of your abs and if you look at anyone like bava fitness all these people that are doing twist they've got an incredible midsection compared to like someone who just does crunches for their abs and maybe just braces their core in heavy lifts. So actually functional training tends to be very aesthetic. Like your shoulders are, are nuts. <laughs> the kind of like detail, like, yeah. you know, the striations and things like a, a, you know, a bodybuilding, a bodybuilder would probably love to have that kind of detail on their shoulder. And you've gotten that from all the calisthenics you've done, which, you know, we said is, you know, I think, um, you know, related to functional training in that it's not just your typical lifts so yeah if you can like build up um some basic hypertrophy with more maybe bodybuilding style stuff and then you're adding on movements that you wouldn't normally do you're kind of like filling in the gaps and i think that's like and crossfitters and that's another whole can of worms but when they're they have fantastic physiques because they're moving in you know slightly less conventional ways and they're doing heavy weights for higher repetitions and things and so, it, you know, in a lot of ways, that's that's more functional style training. And they have, you know, obviously, maybe some of the big names are getting a little bit of help. I don't know. But I think it does uh, it does lead to a pretty good physique, that kind of training. Of course. Yeah. So it's just a matter of doing a bit more, I guess, homework in, in your training. So doing the basics of bodybuilding, which would be a progressive, higher volume approach with a combination of compound and isolation movements but then yeah. to get to get quote unquote more functional and i guess diverse movement patterns what i what i gather from your teachings adam is just introducing those movement patterns that go in those different planes of movement with more complexity associated with the movements and that'll help people help people get there um yeah just look at what's missing in your modality and like borrow some things from somewhere else that kind of plug those gaps and you'll find it improves your sort of injury resilience but also does benefit your 
physique because you're you're training stuff that otherwise would would go untrained perfect and i just want to touch a point that you mentioned was strength endurance and i noticed this comes up a fair bit in in what you're you're teaching online how do you feel for say the average person who just wants to just improve broadly where's the merit lie in people training max strength versus strength endurance is there is there one that you gravitate towards more than another or what's your approach i mean i personally gravitate slightly more towards uh, strength endurance although it's more just a, a kind of i probably would like 50 50 but so many people are more in the direction of max strength that probably sounds more like i'm playing devil's advocate by talking about the the pros of strength endurance but the, the thing is like if you're looking at stuff that's going to benefit you 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 very very rarely pick up something that's as you know your one rep max and then immediately put it back down like it's a, an, an awesome skill and people who have massive like I say I never want to take away from the achievement because I think it's incredible like people who can lift these huge numbers and like having been under some weight I can really appreciate how dedicated they must have been to get there but like if you're just looking to improve your general performance, again, I think because you compare yourself to other people you're like, man, I just need to get my bench press higher. Whereas I'd probably be just as interested in adding a rep to my existing bench press because you're going to be, you know, say if you pick something up, you're probably going to want to move it. And that's where you start to get tired. Or, and in sports, in athletics and things, strength endurance becomes way more important. Like when I first started um, getting back into martial arts and sparred with Grant, like I couldn't believe how quickly I was like, burned out and like that's not just cardio it's strength endurance because you're you know exerting a lot of strength punching and i know a lot of people who comment on my videos are into wrestling and that's just like you're basically just in this grapple hold for ages and rock climbing um, i used to do rock climbing so they're like hold obviously if you're very good you get into positions where you're minimizing the amount of loads but it's still you know a lot of hanging and a lot of um sort of pulling yourself up and so those are positions where being super super strong actually isn't as important as being quite strong for a long time and mm. you know and that has lots of benefits you know building your work capacity can then help you to get really really strong as well because you can train harder at the gym without burning out so quickly and things and uh, yeah and then that sort of like feeds into then cardio as well which will help you climbing big stairs especially as you get heavier and things um you know to me it's not super fit to be so strong that you can lift these incredible numbers but you get really out of breath just climbing the stairs like Again, it's, it's great if that's your sport, but for the average Joe, I don't think that should really be a, an aspiration. Of course, I agree with you as well at large because there's there's ultimately no right or wrong. It's it's what the person's preference is. But I, I think for the, the average person, just from a like a sustainability and a longevity approach in, in all respects, like psychologically, physically, it's just for the long term, a more sustainable approach doing strength endurance. It's you're, you're less likely to injure yourself as you're probably doing moderate to higher rep ranges. Um, yeah. As you said, there's just less of a specialization and um, time, time cost associated with it because you've got to give up a lot to get super, super strong. So these people that yeah. are, as you said, bench pressing, um, deadlifting, one rep maxes and setting the world on fire that's that's what they do they they yeah. likely specialize in that so um, i'm in a similar similar school of thought as you with that one adam and nobody ever asks you like how how many times can you bench press this number they always ask you what's your bench what's your one rep max what's your deadlift one rep max and so 
it's just like the culture sort of again it seems obvious really but a lot of people never really think oh instead of upping the weight maybe I could focus on you know upping the repetitions instead you know or just and you don't have to choose one or the other there are ways you can train max strength and you know a good amount of um um strength endurance at the same time and cardio and things I just uh, always you put the stuff that's tiring at the end so anything that's going to need 100% max effort like a one rep max you stick at the start although I don't think you necessarily need to train with a one rep max to build a one rep max if you see what I mean you can do a, a few reps of 80% or something but then that would go at the start of your workout which would be the equivalent of you know your planche training if you were going to do actual planche you'd want to put it at the start after your warm-up so that you've got the energy and then I just get less and less strong and more and more endurance so towards the end of the workout I'm doing things like battle ropes um and at the start you're doing things like that so you don't necessarily have to pick one or the other either you're going to progress slightly slower in both areas but you'll be more well-rounded as a result today's sponsor for the show is fitness faqs use the coupon code podcast 10 to save 10 percent at checkout when shopping on fitnessfaqs.com enjoy the discount and let's get back to the conversation what would be your favorite form of progression there's so many types but in terms of say strength endurance is there something that you gravitate towards when you're looking to improve um that you like a strategy or something that you use um well i I mean, I don't know how well this answers the question. Let me know if it doesn't. I use something that I like to call a, a you know, mechanic. Well, I don't call it. It's called a mechanical drop set, um, which you probably heard of. So in, in bodybuilding, you know, you'll you'll do maybe as many curls as you can do. And then you'll switch to hammer curls because hammer curls are slightly easier than curls. So instead of dropping the weight, which is called a drop set, and that's normally how you go past failure, you instead um, switch the actual mechanics, the way you're doing the movement. A, a, a calisthenics example might be to do push-ups and then push-ups on your knees. So, or maybe push-ups on your fingertips, push-ups, push-ups on your knees. Like for example, to train push-ups on your fingertips, a lot of people would say, well, that's a waste of time because, you know, now I'm not training push-ups. I can't do as many on my fingertips. So I've just lost the push-up benefit, you know, to chase, chase after this random strange thing that nobody really needs. But if you do push-up on your fingertips, then you drop straight onto your hands and continue with your regular push-ups. You've got the fingertip push-up in there, and then you're performing the push-ups to failure or however you want to do it. So that you can use a mechanical drop set outside of a kind of um, just weights setting in order to combine. But obviously the downside of that is that this is like you're going to failure or near failure on a lot of these things and they're long sets. So they're exhausting. Again, that's that's coming more towards the end, but it's a it's a cool way. And then what you can do is you can see how many are you able to do of the thing that you're aiming towards? You know, what ratio of what you just did was the stuff you were like, is your next step up? So say you're doing planche pushups, you might... I can't do planche push-ups, but say you were doing planche push-ups, you would then drop to tuck planche push-ups, um, you know, and then you could say, well, today I did three before I had to drop to the tuck, so I'm making progress. But at the same time, you're not, because if you practice a skill you can't do, a lot of the time you're not getting a great workout because you, you couldn't, especially with calisthenics where, you know, it's, there's so much technique related and things. And you can, obviously, there's lots of ways around that. You do additional lifts. Um, but you know, if you do these mechanical drop sets, you can kind of combine them into a single thing. That's how I like to train a lot of the time because I'm training multiple things at once. It's fun, it's challenging, and it's it's efficient, time efficient. You definitely did answer my question. First of all, I thought oh, that good. was that was that was good. I don't think many people would have guessed that if if they were to to answer that question. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's but, a little bit unique. <laughs> no, it's it's perfect, and um, that really goes in line with your, I guess, the the functional bodybuilding school of thought because you're getting in that tremendous amount of 
volume, you're, you're extending your set. So you're getting that increased time under tension, all really good stuff. Uh, example that came to my mind when you were saying that Adam was something that most people could probably relate to would be like, just say you're training your core and you're doing hanging leg raises. You've done as many as you can with straight legs. And instead of just doing straight sets as your way of progressing that, if you were to take Adam's advice of the mechanical drop set, you could do your straight leg ones until you, your form starts to break down and then you tuck your knees. So you've, you've de decreased the lever arm and you've, you're still training that same movement pattern, but you've, you're yeah. doing a drop set. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I use that exact example. And I like to also use um, like a, you can use a medicine ball to start with. So straight legs with a medicine ball, then straight legs, then tuck, then you can do a hold as well. You can vary the tempo within a single set. So you're, really just blasting everything it depends on how you how far you want to go in that direction if you want to get really mean and this is more for hypertrophy than anything else then you can do something called burns at the end which is where you literally just do the final bit of range of motion that you've got left so say you're doing the hangs like if you if you can now barely lift your legs you just do that until you can i don't recommend that for a beginner <laughs> you'll have doms for like a long time afterwards but that sort of training is, is surprisingly good for hypertrophy if, if that's an interest of yours you just got to build up to it and be careful with it i can tell your inner bodybuilders coming out through this conversation i know it's, I, it's, I can't help but get a bit a bit sadistic with people like i always got to hold back like when i'm training like with oh. someone i'm like yeah now do that <laughs> like the devil on my shoulders like yeah make them do some burns <laughs> you're like i just got to hold back they've only been training for like six weeks just just yeah exactly out. yeah that's that's something that i've learned with experience when i started out i was i was brutal with that assuming that everybody loved it which they do not no <laughs> we, we want that buy-in we want them to be in this for the long term I've, I've learned that as well the hard way yeah moving on adam i'd like to talk a little bit about isometrics because as we said at the start of our conversation the isometric type of training unless you're into calisthenics and maybe I guess some more niche strength modalities, you probably don't really know what isometrics or, or static strength is. Uh, how do you go about applying this and, and what do you find good use for it? We can go, we can talk strength, we can talk muscle or flexibility, whatever you'd like. Sure. Yeah. Well, obviously um, for those that don't know, isometrics just being holding a position not strengthening or lengthening the muscle um, under tension, but just keeping it in position. So holding a barbell, a barbell at 90 degrees in a curl and then just, just doing that as long as you can. And calisthenics naturally lends itself really well to that. If you're trying to aim for particular skills, you know, um, like a planche or a handstand, because you're just holding that position for as long as you can. And, you know, there's tons of benefits to that initially. In particular, I think that can be really useful. Lately, I've been focusing on, focusing on breathing because that can be such a limitation when you're training. Um, but if you're doing isometrics, you can really like just hold the position. You can focus on on breathing through it, um, which can then help you in a bunch of other movements where you're not now holding your breath. Because uh, I think that's a problem, particularly with more advanced skills. Um, you'll sort of go red in the face and you get dizzy and things and like that's going to prevent you from progressing. So doing some sort of isometrics is a good way to do that. Um, also, isometrics are really useful for just learning stability. You know, a lot of um, core stuff is like anti-rotation, anti-flexion, which means keeping your core solid against someone pushing you um when you pick up something heavy in front of you you're that's anti-extension because you need to prevent your back from bending so it's anti-flexion because you need to prevent your back from bending forwards so you need to stand up backwards essentially to maintain an isometric position so you're doing it all the time 
but something I've been talking about quite a lot recently on my channel is overcoming isometrics, which is a, a slightly different version. You're still static, but in an overcoming isometric, you're pushing or pulling against an immovable force. So in the example where you were holding a barbell at 90 degrees, that's, um, that's called a yielding isometric, which is what most people would think of when they hear isometric, um, which is where you're just you know, holding onto it as long as you can. And then eventually your arms are going to start to give out or for a set du duration of time. With an overcoming isometric, the bar would be chained to the floor and you'd be giving it 100% max effort, um, trying to curl this thing that isn't going to move. Um, and that has entirely different unique benefits, um, but it's an, also a, a really interesting way to supplement your training. Um, yeah, I've um, looked into those um, overcoming isometrics quite extensively for mobility training, Adam. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. How yeah. do you, how do you um, apply that? Uh, the same way that you just described, but you're you're taking your joint to its end range of motion, and you're you're contracting it against an immovable object, so it's not moving. And then when you uh, let go, you're able to go further than you otherwise would because you're, you're essentially teaching your nervous system at that end range of motion how to generate force and access a a new range of motion. So yes, yeah, and that's repeat perfect. That and you can get more mobility. Yeah, because mobility obviously is is not just flexibility. It's like flexibility plus strength, your ability to get into that position naturally. So by doing that, you're strengthening the antagonists. And also using overcoming isometrics has been shown to, in at least one study I read, to relax the antagonist muscles. You'll see, and that's the big advantage of a um, overcoming isometric is it's more about the neural drive. This doesn't build muscle in the same sense because you're not creating muscle damage. I mean, you might get a little bit of, you know, metabolic stress or something in there, but primarily this is about learning to exert force through that uh, muscle. And it's, it's so different from performing even a one rep max. So if you were to perform a deadlift overcoming isometric, you just try and deadlift a weight that's too heavy to pick up off the ground. Um, in a regular deadlift, you might be performing your one rep max. First of all, the movement only lasts a couple of seconds. Secondly, because of the strength curve, only a small portion of that movement are you going to be um, pushing in, you know, giving a hundred percent effort because there's momentum, there's changing of the, the lever arms and things. So only you can only do, you're only as strong as your weakest link, basically. Whereas within an overcoming isometric, you're able to exert max force for the full duration, which tends to be six to 12 seconds tends to be the, the kind of recommendation. Um, and it is quite intensive on the nervous system, but by practicing this, you're actually teaching yourself to recruit uh, motor units because in any regular lift, you're only, you've got the size of your muscle and you've got how much of your muscle you're able to actually utilize in a given movement. And this is, you know, essentially brain training, um, nervous system training, where you're strengthening pathways and learning to recruit those motor units. And so this is a really good way of practicing that. And a great example for um, like uh, calisthenics would be if you want to practice straight arm strength for the planche, you could stand near a wall and straighten your arms in a planche position and then push against Obviously, again, carefully because too much force. If you don't have, um, you know, the the strength in the elbows to yeah. <laughs> resist or it. No one breaking their walls if they've got landlords or whatever. So just just. Check, but that check. would but that would be awesome though. <laughs> yeah, it'd make a good viral video. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. I just push down my own wall, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but I think um, yes. Yeah. The the general the general application of isometrics would be gaining strength at that joint position held plus or minus a little bit right yeah they say it's so it it strengthens 15 percent above and below roughly according to the research 
Um, but that means you just have to, if you want to practice full range of motion, then you just need to practice three different positions. But a lot of people will use this specifically to train weak points. So if you've got, if you're doing a squat and you tend to get stuck down the bottom or at a certain position, then you just find that position and you practice it there. Um, and another really good for that one, another really good thing to practice there, which is related is a quasi isometric, which is an extremely slow movement. So a squat that might take you know, a minute in total or two minutes in total. And that completely eliminates at least the momentum and mm. forces you to just lower yourself. And that teaches an entirely different kind of motor unit recruitment, because now you're trying to exert very fine um, gradations of strength to move yourself up just that tiny bit extra, which is a lot more um, slow twitch because you've got these motor units which contain either slow twitch or fast twitch and they're different sizes and things. And you will only use the, the ones that are necessary for that movement. So if you're, if you're lifting something very heavy, you lose lots of small ones and a few big ones. If you're using something very light, you use just a few small ones. Eccentric, quasi-isometric. So excellent for side splits. So if you're someone that wants to improve, say your middle splits with your legs straddled apart and trying to get your, essentially your groin towards the ground with your legs straight, you can imagine what, what Adam is saying in the application is you'd start in a straddle and you would be holding an isometric contraction with your adductors, but it's yielding because as the set progresses, your legs are slowly going further apart, but your adductor muscles are still creating tension. So this is great because you're getting strength at length and you're increasing your range of motion, which is difficult to do without these specific and aggressive modalities like the eccentric quasis. Yeah. And the control you're getting there as well, which is so good for like preventing injury because now you you're not just flailing when you get to, it's not just flexibility. It's, it's controlled. I, I expect you yeah, to, exactly. to be working on that, Adam. I'd love to see it in, <laughs> in 12 months. <laughs> I'll send, I'll send in my homework. <laughs> That's it, mate. That's it. Now I noticed um, with the Bioneer content, you're, you're filming outdoors a lot. And I know that's no accident because I believe that you're quite uh, interested in training outdoors for the benefits it provides as well. So what, what are some of the benefits of training outdoors and, and why should we do it? Yeah, well, actually, it, it's funny because it's one of those things where um, circumstances dictated it a little bit. I already liked training outdoors and I did for my I trained a lot in my garden. But I don't know, here in the UK in particular, people are a bit funny when you just walk in with a camera um, to a gym. And then during lockdown, all the gyms were closed. And as I got more you know, high tech equipment, I kind of was forced to train outside a lot of the time just to make the content and be able to speak on camera. But um, and that's sort of over the last couple of years become like part of it like people watch i think partly for the view <laughs> as much as yeah it's, what it's I'm very <laughs> it's very serene you've got that with the presenting yeah. it's just it's really easy to digest it's it's so it's so much like it lends itself like the lighting sorts itself out and there's no reverb with the audio like a lot of things become a lot easier as well but at the same time like there's 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 huge merits to training outside because you know for everything we're saying about slightly different more awkward angles and you know training um you know not just in in a single plane like when you lift any barbell or dumbbell it's a straight line and you're lifting it in a you know linear motion when you lift a branch or you know a log it's it's a you've got a grip onto it because it's a strange shape and the the weight is offset in a unique way like you can do that with a kettlebell to an extent but you're going to adapt to that kettlebell whereas every log is different and for a pull-up um you know a tree branch every time you do a pull-up on a tree branch you know, it's, it's going to be different thicknesses at different points. It's going to be a slightly different angle. So you're, you're training, you're still 
performing the pull-up you're still getting all the benefits of the pull-up and you might be able to do slightly fewer but at the same time you're training like around that movement you're becoming more adaptable so um like people like Niccolo uh, Bernstein who's a neurophysiologist talks about um the uh, degrees of uh, movement problem where it's like how does the brain pick the precise movement it wants to perform like out of all the countless different variations um, and it does this by adapting to the environment and the goal so if you're only practicing the same lift you're building like one very refined movement pattern one very refined um, like motor pattern whereas if you perform slight variations on that lift you, you're learning how to move in slight variations of that lift so that when you do pick something up you know like furniture like we we're saying or, or a push chair you've practiced that at least a little bit and of course maybe you haven't progressed on that one lift as quickly because it's been more challenging in the gym but as a result you're stronger in a in a wider range and uh, if it helps another way to think about this um i think this came from the brain that changes itself um is if you were to take a single route down a ski slope every single time you're kind of creating this rivet of, with your skis that's going to really get deep into the snow and you're going to be faster and faster taking that one route and it'll be easier but now when you try and take a slightly different route because you've created this this ditch down that one route it's going to be much harder and you haven't practiced it etc whereas if you take slightly different routes every time and you've smoothed out the whole ground you might not go down as fast or as efficiently down that one route but you've got more option and more variability around it the argument that people would make for what you're saying on the topic of variety versus consistency is what about the, the said principle, Adam? What about if I'm intermediate to advanced? Um, if I change my training too much, I essentially feel like I'm spinning my wheels and I'm not really making gains. So I guess, how do you, how do you, I, I definitely see the merit in the variety approach, but is it something that you're like switching up every single workout or you you phasing it in and out? How can how can people apply this to their training? I personally would say for most people, train with like a basic, more more fundamental version of the movement first, and then rehearse it. You know, so you've got it down. Um, so you know, do your pull ups at home until you can do ten, and then start doing them on tree branches. But it does also depend on what your goals are and what you're doing, because like if you're training for athletics, this becomes much more relevant to you. Because every time you change direction, throw a ball, kick, jump, it is going to be from a different position with different momentum, different environment. Um, however, like if your goal is to become a powerlifter or to learn the planche, then you do want to be quite consistent because like that's the only way to get it. But that's again where I'm saying like you might be thinking, right, I just want to get this one lift better. But it might be the fact that actually it's pretty good now. You're probably stronger than 95 percent people in, in your deadlift what you could benefit from is is trying slightly different variations and you don't necessarily have to go outside to do this you could do it with dumbbells instead or try a staggered stance etc um but when you get outside in and train like that it just it does it all for you because you're just you're you know at the mercy of what's there and the situation and it's funny because you can do a workout that's going to feel quite normal to you but it beats you up in a way that you're probably not familiar with and when you sure. come home you're like yeah hurting in places you didn't know could hurt but you know like trail running is and I'm, I'm an advocate for like barefoot shoes um in particular and if you're running like doing trail runs in barefoot shoes it's a completely different experience than running on tarmac in a straight line and you're sort of you know going to improve your knee stability and your hips because you are working with different vectors and things and again it's all about easing into it and not 
I guess it's just being less competitive with yourself as much as anything else um, and, and trying to like really take the time to think what, what are your goals. But I think even for someone who, who is very interested in training, you know, to, for the sake of training and learning these lifts and things, there is benefit to just testing what your strength is like in a different setting and sort of finding where your limitations are, because it will also feed back into the other lifts, because even with a typical lift, it's always slightly different because momentum is different. Your fatigue levels are different, et cetera. You know, shoes might change, floor might change. Oh, for sure. There's, there's numerous benefits for that novel training stimulus with an I like relatively similar movement pattern. But I think the reason why most of us don't do it is it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, you know, it goes against the grain of what we regularly do. And we've, we're often scared to try different things, but yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of resistance to it because it can be cold and wet and people look at you funny and stuff, but, <laughs> you know, but again, yeah. it doesn't have to like, even just in the garden, that's why I really like training with tools like a Bulgarian bag or a sandbag yeah. or a medicine ball. Cause they give you lots of the same opportunities. I've got a, um, a pull-up bar attached to my wall that's got um little eyelets in it and i can hang ropes from it gymnastics rings perfect obviously you you know all the benefits of gymnastics rings it's, it's just the same kind of thing really um what yeah. equipment what equipment would you recommend maybe more unconventional equipment that people can have for training at home that's relatively inexpensive that you've found value from yeah, well, um, like the stuff I just listed there. So you've got your sandbag, which is a great tool. It's basically just a bag full of weight with two handles on it and sometimes more handles. And you can do all your regular stuff like cleans and, um, you know, deadlifts, et cetera. But you can also swing it around. And it has the benefit because it's called unaccommodating resistance, where the weight actually, this weight inside the bag shifts as you're lifting it. So it is different every time. And, and people like, you know, wrestlers like this because, again, it's like trying to wrestle a person who shifts every time. Again, oh, for it's sure. just that slightly and more just yeah. changing the speed would, would drastically change even the same movement direction if you were training yeah. transverse plane do it quicker slower changes it up huh? yeah yeah that's it yeah and also the fact that it's soft is a huge advantage because you could do things with it that would really hurt with a barbell you can throw it without breaking anything well you know you could definitely break stuff with a <laughs> you can throw it on your lawn and it doesn't create big dents that get your wife angry at you yeah um, for sure so i like i do yeah stupid stuff with it sometimes i like throw it in the air then I'd do a handspring over it just for for the Instagram <laughs> but you can do stuff like that which you wouldn't obviously do with a barbell and it's fun to me training like that and then you've got your medicine ball which is a, a big heavy ball that you can just throw against the wall or again being careful with your walls you can throw it against the floor which is you know safer and things and that builds ballistic strength and again it's a very you know transferable skill you're, you're throwing in the way that you would throw and these are these are tools that you go to someone's house and even if they're not in, into fitness, they'll have a couple of dumbbells on the floor. But you don't see these things very much. And I think especially during lockdown, because during lockdown, all the weights, all the dumbbells got super expensive. Yeah. I mean, you could still you could still buy this stuff, which is great. I recently bought a plyo box, which, again, it wasn't super expensive. I think it was like 60 quid. So not super cheap either. But I keep it in the shed and I can do um, I can do jumps onto it, which is like it's just a fun, different way to train. You do loads of things uh, with it. I've been, and it, you can, this one's a funny shape, so you can tip it onto different sides and it'll be different heights and things. Awesome. Which... Yeah. Those, those pieces of equipment sound great because like you said, inexpensive and it just makes training fun. I mean, we all like, even if you follow a rigid plan, there might be a time when you just don't feel like training, but you still want to be somewhat active. This is the perfect stuff to get your body moving in a, in a novel way. Enjoy it. Sounds yeah great. and for a lot of people um you know 
I say you don't actually necessarily even need to have a goal as long as you're just for someone who's not who's completely sedentary just just being active and moving regularly is is like worth it in itself and they don't need to measure progress they just need to do something it's, it's like eating you know you can't get eating wrong I mean you can do it better or worse but um you know as long as you're eating you'll survive and I think exercise for a lot of people should be the same like I think some people who are resistant, you know, resistant to training, it's because, you know, they think they have to lift these big numbers or in a specific way, and it's not fun or inviting. Whereas actually, like, if that's a problem for you, don't worry about it. Just go outside and do something different every day or, you know, a couple of days a week and, and you'll be making benefits or at least just maintaining your current fitness level and not getting worse as you age, which is, you know, valuable in itself. Most definitely. I don't think people give that enough kudos or respect, just the the enjoyment aspect of fitness. It's like just because something is popular or everyone around you is doing it, if it doesn't resonate with you, you've got to find an activity that does. Even within even within the categories of fitness that we're talking about, like maybe you prefer doing isometrics instead of full range. Maybe you enjoy yeah. using bands instead of your body weight. So it's just it's a matter of finding what what works for you and just and just doing that if that's what you enjoy. Yeah, and that's that's another reason to try lots of different things because that way you do find what you really respond to. For sure, for sure. I wanted to ask you, Adam, get your perspective. A lot of people struggle with muscle imbalance and also just getting these aches, pains, and, and niggles over time. Is is there any higher level recommendations you'd make so people can, I guess, prevent or minimize this stuff from happening? Yeah, well, my um, sort of to sort of uh, beat a dead horse again. I think variety is is the spice of life when it comes to this. Just because you know a lot of uh, what we think of as like a repetitive injury is more that you're doing that so much more than the reverse. So if you've got like wrist or elbow pain, which might come from using a mouse or a keyboard, you're constantly got wrist flexion going on. You just you just add a little bit of wrist extension. You know, you can you can mitigate that to a good extent. And we do a lot of things repeatedly over and over again and this can create all these imbalances tight areas and if you're just to do the opposite you know an equal amount you know your body shouldn't run out of like there's not a certain number of times you can type a keyboard before you inevitably get you know wrist pain it's it's more just that you're 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 only doing that so you become stiff and eventually that becomes achy when you try and do anything else um and i think that training in nature actually it just in particular it's really good because there are so many facets like you'll hear people say oh you need to you know do face pulls for your rotator cuffs and you need to do this for this and that for that and you're like good like this is a this has turned into a boring horrible list of little things i need to train um but if you get enough variety a lot of it will come you should still think about what your routine's like and listen to your body but um a lot of a lot of it comes almost naturally like um i was looking uh, at knees over toe guys uh, he was recommending training your um tibialis anterior you know on the front of your shin for um dorsiflexion lifting your foot upwards um and he was saying how this can be so useful for absorbing impact in a jump to prevent knee pain especially for athletes but for anyone um and i'm like like it doesn't make intuitive sense because how would you train this in the real world like like if we were in the, in the wild we'd always be jumping but when would we ever stand on our heels and lift our toes and then and then i realized it's swimming is how you do it and then so i looked it up and yeah it's great so if you just get a variety of different types of movement and training it almost takes care of itself like our issue is with doing just one thing all the time and again you don't need to go sort of crazy and sort of train in the world like tarzan all the time but just adding variety will help a lot 
I couldn't agree more. I think that's the easiest, simplest way to do it. I feel you can go oh, down. As and... a physiotherapist, I was hoping <laughs> you no. were just like, no, no, no. no. no you got my approval, Bullshit. man. It's, um, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the most well-rounded approach and you're going to address most deficits. If you're training a variety of movement patterns, it's just, it's just simple and it works. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. I want to delve into a bit of psychology stuff because obviously you've got a background in that probably sounds a bit goofy but like as a kid I was you know for me role model was Jackie Chan and then also Arnie and Stallone but also superheroes I was like just I've always been interested in running jumping lifting things and I wanted to be you know the best I could be at those things but then I decided I also wanted to have the the mind to match which just it does sound insane but there's no (laughs) no other way to to say it you know, I was also a big fan of Tony Stark as a kid. So I thought, you know, I want to train my body, but now I also want to train my mind kind of thing. Um, and I just naturally found it really interesting because I was thinking of doing a sports science degree or something like that. But I I think something I talked about on another podcast is that my I'm not natural. I'm not like into sports per se. It's more like the underlying aspects of it. And I know obviously sports science, you'll learn a lot of that, but you'll also learn a lot of it in that sort of capacity, if you see what I mean. Um, and that's the kind of obvious career progression from that. So I so I took psychology and I'd done it at A level and and I enjoyed it. And I've actually found that since then, um, it is it's the relevance to the fitness stuff. I then did a personal training course, you know, supplementary since then. And and I worked as a writer for a long, long time, writing health and fitness, which is where a lot of my knowledge actually comes from more than anything else. Um, but I found that psychology, the amount of like crossover was was huge and especially the more you delve into it and i think it's going to be the direction that a lot of this stuff takes going forwards as well i feel to progress to any extent when it's stuff with the the body even though on the surface you think you're just moving your joints your muscles you're going through the motion with certain things there has to be that awareness of what you're doing to to progress i feel to a higher level so i feel that over time even if people don't study psych formally they're applying aspects of that to their training practice. Yeah, absolutely. And and say the, the, there's a line where it kind of blurs and is it psychology? Is it is it sports science? Because, you know, your nervous system is really a, an extension of your brain and your movement is based on, you know, your brain. It starts in your brain. Uh, you've got, you know, the, that's where the movement patterns are. So, and like you say, yeah, just knowing, understanding this stuff makes a huge difference. And calisthenics is an area where that becomes extremely obvious because I don't think you can brute force your way into a plant. I think you have to understand, you know, your straight arm strength and, and core and, and scapular protraction. And I say, this is a lot of stuff that if you just went to the gym, you'd never have heard of any of it. So you, you almost have to educate yourself just to perform the move, which is cool. And bodybuilders, you know, famously got great new, new nutrition knowledge and etc. Like, yeah, if you're going to progress, you do need to understand it a little bit. And it's interesting. It gives you a new appreciation for what you're doing. Of course, of course. How would people go about priming their mindset or their brain prior to a workout? Is there any approaches you find yourself gravitating towards? Yeah, well, um, I mean, first, in like, priming would just mean obviously preparing yourself and getting into the right state of mind, etc. Um, but it can also, it, it can, it can have a couple of things encapsulated within that. So on the one hand, yeah, motivation, etc. I mean. It sounds simple and obvious, but like if you ramp yourself up for a workout, it makes such a huge difference. Like the right, the right. If I'm not in the mood for to train, I'll watch like a clip of Dragon Ball Z or something, and I'm like, now 
try and stop me you know like <laughs> i love that that's great it's, it's on yeah uh, yeah so massive nerd in case that hasn't come across <laughs> um but yeah and then the other aspect of it is priming as in sort of like firing up the neurons and getting them working in terms of what you want to do because um yeah in terms of like movement and mobility a lot of it is is not just the strength and the ability to move it's also the proprioception and the ability to like we we're saying engaging the right motor units um earlier which is you know like i say it all starts in the brain so something super simple you can do is just like a, a warm-up set like you know weightlifters will will lift um just just the bar for their ranges of motion which just gets those neurons sort of primed and ready to fire um, once you've used it once, it's slightly easier to use those same neural pathways. And I did a video on this recently, and it's it's super interesting, called um, short-term plasticity. So basically, your your brain changes shape with time, but in the short term, you also make some of the pathways more and less likely to fire again um, than they just were. And that so when you bounce on a trampoline and you come off the trampoline and you feel like you're still bouncing that's partly because those neurons have been lit up. So they're now much easier to fire again. Um, and the same thing happens when you lift weights. So if you practice the motor pattern before you try and exert strength through it, and you can use overcoming isometrics in this way as well. So if you were to um, try and lift your one rep max or higher than a one rep max, give it max effort, you essentially prime those uh, pathways so that you can then more easily tap into that strength. And you're probably aware of this because if you, if you bench press 120 kilograms and then 100 kilograms, 100 kilograms feels a lot lighter, which, you know, it seems nuts when you really think about it, but it's because you've primed everything ready to go again. Is that term called post-activation potentiation? If I remember. Yes, that's yeah, correct. Yeah. Yes. Post-activation potentiation is, it gives you like a minute of extra um, ease when it comes to contracting muscle, et cetera. But then the um, the confusing part is that there's also post potent, uh, post activation performance enhancement, which lasts you know maybe half an hour, and this is more to do with warming up and just getting the blood flowing and things. So, if you want to take advantage of post activation potentiation, you need to say do your overcoming isometric or heavy lift, and then move straight on to the other movement that you're targeting that you want to train, you know, with no rest really, just a minute. So you obviously don't want to fatigue yourself. Um, however if you if you perform like a conditioning activity at the start of a workout you will get some benefit throughout, throughout the rest of the workout that follows yeah right so what, what i take from that is guys don't skip your warm-ups prepare for the movement yeah. that you're about to do because that's going to give you the best performance and i think we understand that on a surface level but it's really important that we do it with with intent in the way that we want to perform in our actual working sets yeah so so don't just warm up have a set warm-up that you do every time try and adjust the warm-up to what you're about to be doing in particular yeah and um say and then if you want to use the post-activation potentiation as an additional thing you can do that immediately prior to the movement that you want to train perfect so if you're doing your pull-ups just say that your normal working set for a moderate rep range is 30 kilos you might do a heavy single at 35 or 40 kilos if, it, if it's possible for you and then immediately go into your working set and you'll probably find that um, a fair bit easier yeah and um, athletic coaches use this um, in contrast training which is where they might for instance do a very heavy squat and then immediately do a um, vertical box jump um, and they can exert more strength and explosiveness as a result now i think we all understand that we should be warming up because you've just outlined that very very clearly but an issue that a lot of people have 
is staying focused and trying to achieve a flow state where they're in the zone, they're firing on all cylinders because most people tend to get distracted on their phones or start chatting and they lose um, that frame of mind. What, what's your best advice for achieving and maintaining flow state? Yeah, yeah. Flow state is a really interesting um, subject within psychology. Um, and it, it basically refers to a, a state of mind where you're so honed in on something that you almost lose track of everything else. And people talk about time dilation, you know, things seeming like they've slowed down, etc. I do think that flow states have a slight danger of, of becoming like this panacea where people claim that, you know, I should always be in a flow state, you know, where there's actually benefit to relaxing and to letting your mind wander. And there's also, I think, as we're saying, people trying to sell um, things and that can, a lot of people are trying to sell the idea of the flow state. And so there's a very description of a, a kind of set description. They talk about transient hypofrontality where the whole front portion of your brain shuts down and you're just relying on instinct. Whereas actually, I think what you'll find is what most of us would describe as a flow state is really just the parts of our brain that we use for that thing are what's active and there's not chatter anywhere else. So it's it's not a magical thing. It's just focusing like 100% on what you're doing, which lets you essentially direct all of your mental faculties towards that thing. And a good example is if you talk on the on the phone whilst you're driving on hands-free, I mean, you are, you're more likely to, to crash. You don't think, you don't feel like you are, but the, uh, the stats say that you are. And so the same thing happens when you're training, you're not going to crash, but if you're talking on the phone or doing whatever, then you, you won't be able to, ex you know, perform as well. Um, and so there's a few ways that you can improve your, your focus. One is to find the right difficulty level for you. This is something that um, games designers use all the time. So if it's too hard, you give up and you find it miserable. And if it's too easy, it doesn't provide the, the necessary challenge. Like you see people going into the gym and just curling these light weights. And of course they're looking around because they're not, yeah, exactly. It's not really doing, it's not really doing anything um, for their biceps, but it's also very hard to, it's, it's boring. Like, and they're probably doing that because they've been given this, this, you know, list of things to do, but that's where doing something like a handstand push-up is fantastic because it, it, it completely envelops your senses. Like if you're not focusing on the handstand, you're probably going to fall over. Like you can't really do handstands and watch TV, or at least not, I mean, maybe you can, you can probably <laughs> do a handstand and write a book. But for, <laughs> for me, if I want to be up for more than a second, I've got to focus. Um, and like, and that's amazing because it's, it's, in, it's using more of your senses. So again, to use computer games as an example, like you're always like, I can't focus on my work, but I find it so much easier to focus on a computer game because you've got lights and sounds and the dopamine hits and and so i mean make your training intrinsically motivating by doing things that you enjoy and by and essentially that means learning because the brain loves learning when you play a computer game your brain enjoys it because it is learning it's um you know every time you get that sound it's a reward for doing it correctly and every time you get a game over you've done it wrong and your brain like releases chemicals dopamine to help you um you know perform better the next time and that's it's that's extremely addicting and training can be the same it can be addicting in which case you don't even need to think about getting into flow state because just like you don't need to get into flow state when you watch a film because it's enjoyable i really like where you're coming from with that explanation because it ties into again your argument i guess for variety as a powerful way to train because like you said, if people are getting bored, they're going to get distracted. It doesn't meet that level of difficulty and or excitement 
So it's going to be hard to concentrate. So if you guys are finding that you're losing focus with your training, you might've been doing the same stuff for a while. Maybe you're not quite clear on your goals or you've just been doing, going through the motions with your training. So that's huge. I really like that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just like involving the brain a bit as well. I so said, that's, that's why hand balancing is so much fun because you, you know, you're, you're listening to your senses a lot more. Whereas if you're just, when you curl, you're just using your body. And so it's kind of like, obviously we've said you're not because the movement starts in the brain, et cetera. But in terms of like, there's no need to, there's no need to focus because you're not doing anything. I've, I think um, we were potentially going to talk about this later, but like VR fitness, I think has a huge potential there because it, it gamifies your workouts um, or can do, which makes them inherently more interesting and fun. And, and there's lots of other ways you can do that on your own or with a training partner in particular. Do you find that is just with how you track your training, Adam? Like, do you feel that the old school way of pen and paper isn't, isn't as dopamine? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, you get a huge dopamine hit obviously when you smash your PR and um, it's the same thing happens when you gain a new skill, like there's, there's like no feeling like unlocking a, a new calisthenic skill or anything else. I was training with a parkour guy the other day and he taught me palm spin and so rewarding when you, when you get it. Um, but obviously those movements can be few and far between, but that's another thing you can do is, is to break down your goals into more manageable steps. So you get more wins um, within your training Um but yeah, I mean, obviously it's very useful to track your skills and that can be a form of gamification in, in, in itself, like tracking progress. But at the same time, so you can, you can just make things more fun. Like when I'm talking about the uh, mechanical drop set, it's, it's, it's more varied within a single workout. Um, you've got sort of micro goals within that training because you're trying to perform as many of each thing as you can do. Um, so yeah, but again, it's very personal. It's finding what, what you personally find motivating and interesting. And I will say that sometimes... I actually think there is a place for a distracted workout. Um, like if you're struggling with motivation and you're, you've got 15 minutes and there's something you really want to do. Cause I sometimes find that the, the challenge for me is not that I don't want to work out because I do, but it might be because I want to do something else. And this is the only time in the day that I've got to do it. So I do occasionally do push-ups in between deaths in a computer game, or I'll do, I'll put on something that I want to watch on TV and those aren't my best workouts, but it's better than if I didn't do it. And actually, sometimes if the thing is, if it's an action game and with me, it invariably is, then that can become like a form of motivation in itself because it, it amps me up. So you are a fan of greasing the groove style of training, as you just said. Yes, yes, yes. So greasing the groove being meaning that you're performing movements multiple times, potentially throughout the day, but just rehearsing movements over and over again, which is going to kind of sound like the opposite of what I was saying about the variation and variety etc but again there's a time and place for everything and if you want to learn a skill in particular um greasing the groove is is very useful and again this is from a like a psychological perspective it, it makes a lot of sense because when you perform say a handstand and if you only do it a couple of times you're not really fatiguing your muscles in a huge way um i mean like maybe the shoulders a little bit but you can listen to your body there what you're but when you perform it you are rehearsing those motor patterns and you're listening to the feedback and you're learning how to balance so if you just do it multiple times like more often not going to failure each time you train but just doing it multiple times throughout the day you can increase your volume without you know feeling it the next day and you you might not build muscle but you get the brain gains because you're learning how to do the skill better 
for skill acquisition, it's absolutely huge to be doing more practice more frequently as opposed to a big chunk at once. Because as you said, uh, fatigue is more likely if you just spend one massive period of time doing handstands as opposed to breaking it up, you're more likely to have clean technique, you're getting more practice. That's that's definitely recommended. Yeah, And something else that um, I think um, we mentioned previously, spaced learning is this idea of taking your learning and breaking it into um, separate chunks throughout. So it's often used by students who are researching or revising for an exam. And instead of doing your revision in one one hour chunk, you might do it in three 20 minute chunks with a short break in between. And you know what we're talking about priming the the, the brain and, and getting the particular neural pathways flowing, which is changed by the way they're responsive to um, neurotransmitters and things. But if you take time out, it kind of cools it down and you're essentially like starting the engine again from scratch. So it's closer to your brain doing three sets of 20 minutes is, is three separate training uh, attempts, which doing one longer one isn't quite as beneficial because your brain's already primed you've already woken it up you're not practicing retrieving that information so much because you've already you know got it going if you kind of see what i mean yeah yeah so it, seems to, it, into three a, smaller ones. it seems to assimilate what you've been doing in a more condensed fashion right yeah uh, yeah and in the and then in the time in between you, you get benefits also and by distracting yourself and also that's how we use information in the real world you know we don't just we're not always ready for it sometimes we have to dig it out of nowhere um so by doing um by greasing the groove you're also getting the benefits of um, space repetition because every time you're doing it it's like a fresh new workout kind of thing um interesting interesting yeah so you get additional benefits there this ties into another question i want to ask what are your thoughts on multitasking in a true sense is not really possible we switch from task to task what is your thoughts on multitasking? Yeah, no, you're, you're correct. Yeah, it's really serial tasking. So you, you do switch from one thing to another. In terms of the merit of multitasking, yeah, if you want to be as productive as possible, you want to really focus on that thing. I'm a big fan of um, the book Deep Focus, um, uh, Deep Work, sorry, by Cal Newport, um, which he, he talks about just shutting off everything. I mean, um, my schedule is quite packed at the moment. That's the only way I can do what I do. I used to write like up, 10,000 words a day and up to 20 or, or more in a day and I would do this just by sitting down and just focusing on that one thing and it's the only way I've been able to you know sort of pay to grow my own business as the pioneer and do all these other things um, but I've also found that actually from a like performance perspective I focus is extremely valuable but so is being able to switch your focus and I've recently found that I I think I have a bit of a deficit there. So I've been looking into brain training um, methods to try and fix that um, because I can be like a, this nutty professor type person where someone will talk to me and I, I'm like, Do, what? Because <laughs> I'm just brains off thinking so yeah, yeah, yeah. About, about something in my head. And I think I might have partly done that to myself with those years of just sitting down writing for hours straight. Because I remember reading in one of your blog posts that uh, part of your regular routine is getting into a cafe, working for seven, eight hours on on three coffees with some synthwave, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, I'd like shut out all other sound and just really focus up. But I think a lot of people could benefit from working like that. You know, like if you're in a job where it's got loads of meetings and loads of, you know, calls. And I used to get really frustrated with clients that would email me and be like, 
oh man, I've got this job for you. Would you like to jump on a Skype call? And then we jump on a Skype call and, and talk and they'd be like, yeah, here's, so this is the 500 word article. I'm like, just give me the the specs. Like it's almost, I said they were like playing business. Like they enjoy oh, the yeah. sort of, you know, enjoy pretending that it's an important thing and having this meeting, but you know, I was paid by the word. So <laughs> I wasn't earning money during these. So I, I ended up just, I used a, a guy who was a go-between just because it was, he did all the talking. I knew he took a big cut of the pay, but I would rather that so I could just focus on the work and actually churn out these huge amounts. And now it's been a huge asset to me. Um, I was talking to you before saying that at the moment I'm looking after my daughter a lot as well as doing the Bioneer. And the only way I can put out content still so consistently is, you know, I sit down and I write it in one go and then I go out and film and I get it in one go and Mm. I sort of just get the essentials, come home, then I edit like a maniac. (laughs) The the takeaway productivity tip would be having a schedule which is quite busy where you're forced not to get complacent because correct me if I'm wrong, but if you had an abundance of time, would it not be more difficult to get all that done? Because surely at the back of your mind, you're like, I've got to spend time with family. I've still got to do this work. It's There's no time for complacency. I guess, yeah, I guess maybe just section off um, periods of time where you're going to be doing, you know, set deep work and then spend some time with your family. Like I spend a lot of time like, not working but when I am working I'm like really working if you see what I mean and I think that's that's the big difference and yeah I think a lot of people especially it's hard for a lot of people right now because they're working from home um, for the first time and um, you know they're not used to this and they might have be in the room with their partner who's also working from home and chatting over coffee and things but Mm. whilst that's kind of nice it would be nicer if you both finished you know in half the time and then you could actually go and do something nice together that's that's my take on it and I, and this is trainable, just like everything else. Um, so brain plasticity is the ability of your brain to change shape and adapt in much the same way that your muscles do. You know, you create new, new neural pathways. You can even birth new neurons and you sort of are what you repeatedly do in that sense. And so if you, like now, if I, you say, if I had more time, would I struggle? I, I never look at Facebook. I, mm-hmm. I come in and, you know, it's a, sound like a brag but I, I don't um you know I have no trouble just focusing and it helps that I really love what I do now but I have no f- trouble and it's just I think it's just rehearsing that thing and just really like sticking at it and I can't remember I think it's the YouTube channel Better Ideas and he said it in a really good way he said to get into a flow state you know with work and things there's always going to be a bit of resistance maybe about 30 minutes so you have to you have to know that it's coming and push through anyways and it's like if I can just write for 30 minutes after that point I'll be in the zone and you kind of have to trust it and not not give in to the temptation to go and do something else because then it'll never come and you'll just be restarting from scratch each time that's absolutely massive advice it's I think we're I guess uh, under this mistaken belief that we always have to feel super excited to to work or do the activity we're about to do but half of it is just like you said it's the routine it's time place putting putting in you know getting yourself into that environment and just accepting that there's going to be that resistance but just embracing it shaking it away because i think it's a, almost like a superpower man if you can be like okay i'm not going to procrastinate no matter how boring this is how much of an itch i have to do something else yeah. i'm going to do this work and then that's probably that you can't buy that feeling like no. after you've gone through that work yeah yeah, hundred percent. And like, especially now with more people working online and working from home, I think it's going to be a massive differentiator. I say it's it's literally the only thing that's allowed me to grow the the channel is just consistency um, and just 
bashing it out and I've seen other people try and they get distracted and they don't make a video that week or they you know you just gotta you just gotta sit down and do it it is like training you just gotta show up and um if you have writer's block when you sit down at the computer one of the best things you can do is to just write anyways and fix it later like you might think oh this is awful junk I'm writing and that's fine because you can go back and fix it once you get into the flow you'll be writing much better and you've just got a, a you know a few minutes worth to go back and fix but it's probably better than you think it is anyways in all honesty for sure I really like that that's some big takeaways there to reaffirm I guess some of the stuff that I've heard in the past and and kind of been avoiding because it's it's uncomfortable but I, I really like that I'm going to definitely be applying that now adam with your stuff on the bioneer i've come across this term that it, it threw me off I'd, I'd never heard of it and i don't think other people listening have heard of this before it's called transhumanism can you explain yeah. what what that is yeah well transhumanism is just an interesting like uh like philosophical bent and it's it's the idea that in in future we're going to um be able to adapt our bodies um, with technology and change the way we work and think and move, etc. So, you know, a brain implant might be an example of transhumanism, like the Neuralink thing, or um, perhaps gene modification. You can block myostatin and increase muscle mass without even trying just from one injection and things. And I'm not necessarily for it, um, but I'm also not necessarily against it. I think a, a bit of a problem with transhumanism, I did my dissertation on transhumanism, and a bit of a problem with it is that people lump all these technologies together as this one, like I am for transhumanism or I'm against it. Whereas I think a, a more appropriate way to be would be like, well, this technology could be useful. This one's probably dangerous. And I mean, there's massive issues like, you know, potential social divide and things that only the rich can afford to upgrade their brains. And now you've massively increased that gap, et cetera. But it's more that I'm just very interested in it um, as a, as a concept and a topic, but the more I've, looked into it the more i feel it's actually quite a long way away because we don't understand the complexity of our bodies as much as i think a lot of people would like to think they do um and also i think there's so much untapped potential with our bodies that we could be training already um in order to get some of these things you know without inserting a invasive chip into our brains etc but it's just it's just a, an area i find really interesting to sort of read about and write about do you believe, and it's hard to hard to guess, but do you think in our lifetime we'll see any changes in that respect, say in the next several decades? I mean, I think that a lot of, um, you know, health technologies will improve. Like we've already got implants that are very good at um, fixing eyesight and things. But I personally no longer think that we will drastically be upgrading our bodies in our lifetimes because I think we just don't, like um, the, the best prosthetic um, in the world is is miles from the dexterity or the input that we've got and to to want to lose your own arm is massive <laughs> to want to lose it for something that's anything less than like a huge improvement um but likewise you know i, I personally don't think Neuralink is is likely to um turn out the way that elon musk thinks it's thinks it will like you know we're talking about um short-term plasticity and things like th these are, are concepts that like we don't fully understand you can't like when we model the human brain on a computer, for example, all we do is we model the connections. Um, people have actually scanned and uploaded, you know, entire um, neural networks called a connectome um, to a computer and then sort of expect it to behave like a human, but it's not producing neurotransmitters. 
it isn't it doesn't have brain plasticity it can't change shape and this is not just critical like for learning it's critical for the, the very thought process in the short term like and we're just miles from understanding that and i think the only way we would understand that is with a an ai or something that uses machine learning add to like you know just work as a black box and do things that even we can't understand but i don't think we're anywhere close to that and I think virtual reality will be massive. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about now how they've lost a lot of weight using Beat Saber just because it's it's such a fun way to train. Um, and in the future, we'll have lighter headsets that don't create so much sweat. And they're looking at inside out full body tracking, which would be massive because, you know, imagine at, at the moment, um, a VR headset can track your movement and it can track your hands if you're holding a controller, but it's going to have cameras facing down on your body. Um, you know, these things already exist um, so that it can sense you know, how your body's moving in space as well. So you could perform a squat and it would be a squat. And if this thing's light, like, you know, then that's potentially gigantic because now you're squatting um, to dodge a punch, which is much more fun than squatting for no reason, if you see what I mean. Uh, so if you struggle to, to train and then at the same time, like if you looked at the Kinect, um, the Kinect was actually amazing and it could, it could tell your weight distribution onto the different limbs and things. So imagine a personal trainer who can actually see more than they can see in person because they can see that you've got a slight like you've got 80 percent of your weight on your left leg during a squat and then they can fix this deficit that they wouldn't even have been able to fix like necessarily spot and now imagine that's built into a vr headset and they've got this virtual trainer in the room with you um and actually ar as in augmented reality where you can still see the world around you and you see the virtual stuff on top is probably more likely to have a bigger impact on fitness like running down the road and collecting coins like mario or sonic for example um, or even performing a golf swing and then seeing the exact trajectory of your swing and then having a slight correct, it shows you the correction or you feel a vibration to tell you where you're off. So you can almost immediately fix your swing and then you you tap into that neuroplasticity without trying almost. Um, I was talking to a company called React, um, or Neurotrainer. The company's called Neurotrainer. They have a, an Oculus app called React. And they're working on all this stuff, um, in particular brain training for athletes, like training things like um, visual awareness, et cetera, um, which they can just do so much easier in VR because they can fill up your whole visual scene and they can like they know exactly where you're where you went wrong, et cetera. And they were saying, you know, the future for a basketball player to be able to see arrows showing them where to throw the hoop to get the perfect like that, that will have a bigger impact, much bigger, I think, much quicker than will, you know, a brain implant. Oh, for be, sure. Be, you could definitely yeah. see if it, if it comes more accessible for, you know, the mainstream in terms of cost and both its functionality as well, for sure people will embrace it. And we wouldn't want to wish any more lockdown-related events. But, I mean, if that was yeah. to be the case, people would definitely be seeking that type of stuff. And a good example I always give with, like, how technology evolves over time and we embrace it is you look at, say, the hybrid cars, a couple of decades ago, they were slower, more expensive, et cetera, et cetera. But now these days, certain companies are making uh, electric cars that are, are faster, uh, relatively similar price ranges. People would yeah. embrace it. So it's, I think it's a similar thing with the VR to an extent. Yeah. And the Quest 2 is, is like the first one I think that's taken off in a, in a bigger way. I think it's getting to the point of being mainstream in the next couple of iterations. And yeah, I think I think I actually think fitness will be the um, you know flagship system seller for for um, VR. I think that's going to be one of the main draws. 
as well as socially interacting. But I think fitness is massive and I don't think it's being tapped into quite as much yet, but I think it's just on the horizon. I want to finish, Adam, with just a few quick general questions just so people can maybe just see your perspective on just some some wider things. I always ask my guests these to finish off. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I know them. I've, I've been thinking about them. <laughs> I gave you some rehearsals, so you've got some yeah. Um, yeah, some time to think about it. So first one is, what's a belief you hold strongly, which is unpopular to most other people? So yeah, yeah, I was thinking about this, and I couldn't think of anything too controversial, I'm afraid. I, I, I'm not that controversial a guy. I'm a, a people pleaser. But I do have an idea that um, I think some people uh, like don't see the merit in, which is kind of the same thing, which is, I think, in the future, we should build our houses to be less accommodating for us and more challenging to move around for the reasons that we've discussed. Um, you know, you adapt to what you do every day. And, you know, when we're talking about greasing the groove, etc., the fact of the matter is that we're in the gym for an hour, maybe in a day, and we do everything else for 23 hours. And so of course you're going to risk overtraining and things just to try and make up for the amount of bad movement and, or lack of movement. Whereas like, for example, you know, standing desks are great, but, they have their limitations like what if instead of stairs you had the option of a traversing climbing wall up the side and what instead of making your doors lighter you made them heavier and even your cups what if you had to crank your tap open and I genuinely believe a like balance beam down the hallway I genuinely believe that if you had this stuff and it's a hard sell <laughs> but I think if you had this stuff people are always saying like well what happens you know when someone breaks into your house or you have a fire and now you have to like <laughs> there would be options for moving around normally but I think this kind of like small activity throughout the day would actually prevent a lot of the kind of decline that we have both physically and mentally um I think so it's healthier for us now everyone knows the answer why you do so much um transverse plane stuff because your house as as people yeah, say literally heavy doors you've got the heavy <laughs> well, doors I haven't I haven't sold my wife on the idea um but it, you can sort of um, make it up yourself. Like I've, I've done the experiment where I just carry a kettlebell with me the whole day. So everywhere I go, I bring the kettlebell. Um, but like, yeah, I, I mean, I think the problem is that we don't move enough. And if we were no. forced to throughout the day, then. I agree with that as well. And you always hear about, say, the, the less extreme example is uh, as people get older, they shouldn't live in a, in a double story, double story house, but as you said, you if you don't use it, you lose it. So that yeah, function, exactly. that basic mobility to ascend stairs and descend stairs, if if you've got a house with that quote unquote challenge as you get older, you're going to be more capable than other yeah, people. For longer. Yeah. And obviously there's exceptions and the injuries and things that make that not possible. But for the and like it's just crazy when you think how comfortable we've made everything to the point where you don't even have to bend over to pick something up because everything's at our waist height. And I just I don't know. I genuinely think that it sounds crazy, but in the future, I think maybe not, you know, balance beam in the hall, but I think there might be a little bit more leaning yeah. towards that direction. Well, you can see with, with how, as we discussed, technology's made everything easier, quicker. You can get food delivered to your house at the click of a button, all this stuff. We know that yeah. life is getting easier. That's why people voluntarily do exercise because we crave that challenge yeah. we crave that growth so just integrating it into your day with weird awkward things is the bioneers tip yeah exactly yeah it is and and we can do that ourselves until we have houses that try and kill us <laughs> which is the dream <laughs> of course of course my next question for you is what is the biggest lesson that you've learned this year yeah so i think this one is is not training related or anything i think that 
thing I've learned this year is, is you know, more personal that I, I can't um, fix everything or like help everyone that I want to help. And I have to like learn to step back. It's been a particular thing in lockdown where I can't like leave the house so much and where I've, I've had to, uh, you know, look after my family here a bit more. Because I mentioned to you, my wife, we said at the start pregnant and had to look after her. And yeah, I just always worrying about friends and family and things. And, and to the point where um, maybe I'm not like they don't even need me to worry about them in some mm. cases or in other cases, it's not my business and I can't help. And instead of being stressed about it, I need to like learn that it's not necessarily my responsibility. I think as well this year, I've learned that I have a slightly more anxious tendency than I ever thought I did. Cause I thought I was never anxious, but I guess I have a little bit and yeah, yeah just a little bit of self-awareness. I think I've gained this year, which is probably a good thing. If you could speak with someone dead or alive, who would you like to chat with? Yeah. I, I struggled with this one too. I was really thinking about it. I think, um, I'd probably go with Jackie Chan um, um, just because I, I don't know if he's got some interesting political views now. I've like chosen not to read into it too much. Like I know he's slightly more controversial um, at the moment in, in China, I think. But so I don't really know. But in terms of like, you know, what is achieved, the way he moves and like previously, like his personality seems like such a, a nice, genuine guy. Um, you know, I just think he's probably one of my my biggest heroes. And growing up, he's the one who got me into fitness and into. So I'd love to pick his brain on like the way he trained and like how he came to move that way. And like, because to me, he's like an example of of what what I aspire to. Because he's this amazing martial artist, but he also does these stunts and tricks and things. And you know, he's got a good physique. Like to me, that's like peak fitness. Like when you watch some of his choreographed fight scenes, I think they're incredible. Especially you know when he was younger. You know, he's pretty old now, but yeah, yeah that'd be I great. He'd be someone that would have a good connection with you because it sounds like he's got a pretty deep understanding of all things physical and psychological. So I, I think you guys would have an awesome chat if that. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows if the buy-in year makes it makes it big now that you're full time. Anything's <laughs> yeah, possible. Well, <laughs> if he's listening, so <laughs> a, a bit of a long shot. I think a lot of people would expect me to have said Bruce Lee because I talk about him a lot on my on my channel and I really like uh, he trained us in really interesting ways. But actually. Um, it's just that you got more information on his training and stuff is why I talk about him a lot. But, but Jackie Chan was, was always, that's, you know, he was my guy sort of growing up, got most of his films. Nice, 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 fair, fair. The, the last question I want to ask, because you've got such a wide understanding in multiple topics, fitness, psychology, all the stuff that we've discussed, is there any recommended resources that the listeners um, could delve deeper into to to see some of your philosophy and stuff yeah sure i mean i, I could be cheeky and, and plug my own book i've got a, a print book uh, functional training and beyond which um was a, a, a cool achievement something i always wanted to to do so that's cool um uh, other than that deep deep work that we're talking about I highly recommend to uh anyone that's the one by cal newport talking about focus and and productivity in that sense um I really like the book. You've probably read this one. I imagine um, overcoming gravity as a like it's like such a tome. I think I'd recommend. It's not light reading, but it's a really good book in terms of understanding like the biomechanics of some of the calisthenics moves. Which, as we were saying, is like an education in itself um, because it involves so many things that you might not have considered. Like I think if if you've only ever done bodybuilding, like read that book and it's quite eye opening. You know, or if you've only ever done powerlifting, it's it's quite different. Um, there's a book called Peak, um, which is really interesting, which is a, just a, a nice uh, description of 
like how athletes are training at the moment at the higher level and some of the other things they're looking at like the microbiome and things and these are all concepts that would give you like a 0.1% edge perhaps from a competitive standpoint but it's just to me that's the stuff that's really interesting like um you know it, and it's like he's a an ed- educated guy and i can't remember who it's by uh dr mark bubbs <laughs> but it's um yeah just that, that's a really interesting like broad approach to to training so it can give you an idea of some of the other things that you could be doing Awesome, Adam. I think we're going to leave it there because you've covered so much stuff that it's going to take me time to digest that. And I think the listeners might have to give this one a re-listen to fully absorb everything. But it was great connecting with you, man. And I highly recommend that people check out The Bioneer on YouTube and all the other social media platforms as well. So cheers once again. Thanks for your time, Adam. And um, take care, everyone. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It's been fantastic. Really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Pleasure. All right. See you guys. Fitnessfaqs.com to master calisthenics and become a bodyweight pro.